I'm Andrew Schweitzer, and you're listening to the Boxing for Free podcast. It's been a while since you've heard my voice. The last time I did a podcast, I was going over the life and career of Marvelous Marvin Hagler. And in that time, I've wanted to do podcasts. There were lots of opportunities to do so. I really wanted to do one after Ruiz versus Areola. But in all honesty, I just haven't had the energy for it. And believe me, I've wanted to have the energy to talk about fights. I was ecstatic when I watched Eris Lara knock out Thomas Lamana in one round. I wanted to give my opinion on how Chris Ariola's performance against Andy Ruiz was almost like a metaphor for his whole career. I wanted to talk about how we came so close to having the fight between Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury only for the courts to intervene and rule that Fury has to face Wilder for the third time. And now Wilder's hired his former opponent Malik Scott to be his new trainer. Errol Spence and Manny Pacquiao was less than a week, or less than two weeks rather, from happening. And now it's not happening. Oh, and I've wanted to address something that's very uh, near and dear to my heart. My best friend and a wonderful friend of this podcast, Oscar De La Hoya, is going ahead with his awful comeback fight. Now, you know if there's anything that would get me talking, it's that. But again, I didn't have the energy for it. I didn't have the desire. There's also the PBC card from this past Saturday night, which had one of the worst highway robberies I've ever seen, and a main event that almost seemed like it had a foregone conclusion, but then it ended up having no conclusion. I've wanted to talk about all that stuff. And since I'm recording right now, and this is my podcast, let's Let's catch up on all of that. And if there is something that you did want me to discuss and I didn't, well, again, this is my show. I'll talk about what I want. But if you do really want me to talk about it, let me know. Tweet us at Boxing for Free on Twitter. Not only will I reply, but I'll go into further detail on the next episode of the podcast. We also have the excellent Facebook page. You can contact me on that. And either I or Justin will be more than happy to reply. But... Without further ado, let's get back into the Wayback Machine and go back to May of this year. Arislandi Lara was doing what I said he should have done for some time, and that's to make a move up to middleweight. He did, and in less than 90 seconds, he made snap, crackle, and pop of Thomas Cornflake Lamana. Now, this is exactly what Arislandi Lara was expected to do against someone of Lamana's caliber, and he did it flawlessly. When they talk about a fighter barely landing a punch on the other guy, you can say that about Lamana because according to the punch stats, he only landed one punch on Lara. Now, I'm, I'm also going to admit I was a bit nervous going into the fight. Not that I thought that Lara was going to lose a decision, but I thought about his last fight against uh, Greg Vendetti and how that went on for 12 rounds and it was not a very exciting fight. There were moments where I kind of thought, you know, you can, you can step it up to another gear and you can stop this guy. And that didn't happen. I was worried that it would happen here, but from the opening bell, Lara was scoring with those left hands of his, and the last one just put him to sleep. He, Lamana could have gotten up, but I don't think he would have been able to do anything. You could tell, as soon as Lara was landing those left hands, I, I saw it. But by the time he landed like two or three in a row, I thought, okay, this fight is not going the distance. I will be A bit surprised if it goes uh, past two rounds. I mean, 
And I'm going to be honest, Lamana, you know, they can talk about how he sparred 140 rounds, but I'm watching the fight and I can see he has no chance. He has no hope. He had to have seen it because I'm sitting in another country watching this thousands of miles away and I can see it. Uh, but there is something I want to ask Joe Goosen about, and that's his comments that Lara is one of the best fighters to ever lace them up. Now, I guess sometimes we use hyperbole, sometimes we misspeak, and he meant to say something else, but I, I want you to listen to him here. Often by text and phone, and he's worked hard for this fight. He, brought it, he had about 140 rounds of sparring against Southpaws. I think he'll make a good accounting of himself here, but he's in with one of the best who ever laced them up, so... I mean, maybe he's seen more of Lara than I have. I'm willing to admit that either way. That's high praise from Joe. Uh, and this whole debacle about, oh, the punch landed on the shoulder. How can you get knocked out by a punch landing on your shoulder? It, take another look, geniuses, and maybe open your eyes or take your head out of your ass. It catches him on the jaw and drops him. Right? Right? I'll be honest, I watched that punch and, or sorry, I watched that punch over and over and over, and I just thought that they should have been playing this after the fight. And if you don't know, that's the uh, season one intro to the anime series, One Punch Man. It's available on Netflix Canada, but for some reason, they got rid of the English dub for it, which is just baffling for me. But that's another podcast for another time. So, on to the main event. Andy Ruiz fighting for the first time since losing the heavyweight titles he won against Anthony Joshua versus Chris Ariola, a man hoping to keep his career alive with one dynamic performance. In the end, it was won by Ruiz, and I think the bout itself, or either Ariola's performance throughout, could be an excellent summary of Ariola's whole career. It starts out with a lot of promise, and then he's able to surprise you a little. He certainly did so in the second round when he dropped Ruiz, but then the flaws begin to show, and they become more obvious. You start to think to yourself, you know, if you had trained properly earlier, this wouldn't have been a problem right now. And in the end, even though it was a fun scrap, Ruiz walked away with a wide unanimous decision. Now, on to my good friend and friend of this podcast, Oscar De La Hoya. The man is 48 years old, almost 15 years into his retirement. And by the way, Justin and I made an excellent video detailing Oscar's last pro fight against Manny Pacquiao, which you should all watch. And yet, the man is talking about making a comeback. Or he's slurring about making a comeback. If you happen to watch that broadcast that had him on commentary for a while, and oh my god. Now, I'm not going to go into details of the fights that were on this card. I think it was the trailer broadcast. Quite frankly, I'm not going to talk about any card that has a Logan or Jake Paul fight. This is a podcast about boxers and boxing. This is not a uh, podcast for whores like the Paul brothers. Either way, Oscar was on this broadcast doing commentary. And that man was either drunk, and uh, he admitted to having a few drinks a few days later, or he was on coke. 
Now, I'm willing to believe that he did have a few drinks, but quite frankly, I don't think we should count an entire bottle of vodka as one drink. And, you know, you, you might think, oh, Andrew, that's just your opinion. Listen for yourself. At one point, he is telling the uh, the camera people to keep the camera on him, even though there's a fight going on. Listen to this. This, this is funny. It's, it's funny, but it's also a bit sad. Best motherfucker out there. So the old school Oscar. Come on. I always fought the very best. And I'm proud of that. And whoever it is, I've been retired for 14 years, but get guess what? I'm going to pick the very best. Now, there, there was a lot more audio that I could have included, but I think that would have just been exploitative at this point. Are you honestly going to tell me that this man is in his right mind and should be making a comeback at the age of 48? I'm being honest. Oscar sounded like he should make a comeback to rehab. Now, he says he's going to be in shape, and you heard all that talk about him finding the best, and his best opponent for his comeback fight is scheduled for September 11th, and that is Vitor Belfort, the former UFC light heavyweight champion. Is this the best that Oscar could really do? I don't know. I honestly hope that Oscar does not embarrass himself, and more importantly, I hope he doesn't get hurt. I do love poking fun at this guy. Honest to God, I, I do. You know, my impression of him is known throughout the world, but at the same time, I don't want to see him get hurt. Also, you talk about fighting the best, whatever that means in Oscar's mind. Belfort had only one pro boxing fight, and that was all the way back in 2006. So the best he could manage is somebody who, was, who had his first fight when The Sopranos was still on TV. Not just his first fight, his only pro boxing match. Come on, Oscar, if you're serious about uh, this comeback, at least put in a better effort, and I hope you don't get too hurt. As much as he infuriates me, and for the record, I infuriate him so much more than he does me. I mean, think about this. He blocked me twice on Twitter, all right? I, I am more than open to listen to whatever he has to say, but I am you know, not going to be afraid to call him out on his BS. But I don't want to see this guy get hurt. All right, that, that, that's all I've got to say about this. I will maybe cover the fight. Who knows? But uh, at, at this moment, I do not want to see Oscar De La Hoya fight. Or if he does fight, I don't want him to get hurt. Moving on. Okay, so what have I been wanting since 2015 when Tyson Fury upset Vladimir Klitschko? I wanted a uh, new exciting era of heavyweight boxing. And for the most part, after a few rough starts, I think we've got it. And one thing I wanted to happen in this uh, new era is that we get an undisputed heavyweight champion. You had Tyson Fury as the lineal champion at one point. Wilder held the WBC title and Joshua held the WBA, IBF, IBO, and WBO titles. Now, Tyson Fury beat Wilder in their rematch, Joshua got his titles back in the rematch with Andy Ruiz, and it seemed like we were inches away from having the biggest boxing event in uh, British boxing history, and maybe one of the biggest fights in boxing history happening, and then some judge ruled that Fury had to give Wilder a third fight. Ugh, friends, we were so close. I want that showdown between Joshua and Fury, but alas, not to be at this time. The third fight between Fury and Wilder 
is now scheduled to take place on October 9th, but with everything going on in the world COVID-related, it's hard to guarantee when or if that fight will go ahead as scheduled. Anthony Joshua will have to deal with Alexander Yusik, the former undisputed cruiserweight champion who, like Evander Holyfield and David Hay before him, is hoping to make a huge impact in the heavyweight division. He could upset a lot of plans and become a major player in this division, or he might be another opponent that Joshua gets passed on his way to that final unification bout between he and Tyson Fury. As for Fury and Wilder 3, look... I picked Wilder to win the first two bouts, and if you go back and listen to that prediction I made for the first fight, it came very, very close to happening. Not so much in the rematch, but I hope that uh, Wilder leaves all his conspiracy theories at home and leaves it all in the ring. He's got a new trainer, former opponent Malik Scott, and... There are a lot of good things coming out of Wilder's camp, as you'd expect to hear. I mean, you wouldn't want to hear that Wilder's not training or not putting in his best effort, but we're going to have to see what happens as we get closer to the fight. All I can say is I hope that Scott is prepared that if Wilder should lose, he's going to get blamed for this somehow. He could be telling Wilder, you know, I think you're winning every round or I'm going to let you fight until the referee stops it. I won't stop the fight, but Wilder will find a way to blame him. And that's sad. Anyway, moving on to Errol Spence versus Manny Pacquiao. Oh, I had high hopes for this fight. This was like probably the biggest fight of the year. This was a bout that was either going to extend the legend of Manny Pacquiao or it was going to be the fight that finally sends him into retirement. And, you know, I, I was getting uh, some of the vibes that this could be a crossroad fight, much of the way Oscar De La Hoya versus Pacquiao was all the way back in 2008. In fact, I was picking Spence to win the fight. I had a feeling that he would win a 12-round decision. However, just a few days ago, the fight was canceled. Spence was discovered to have a tear in uh, his retina in his left eye, and now the replacement is WBA welterweight champion Jordanis Ugas. Now, this is a bit confusing because Pacquiao won the WBA uh, welterweight championship from Keith Thurman in his last fight, and yet Ugas is also the champion. So, you know, this this is a great opportunity for the WBA to say, okay, hey, we are going to be trying to have less champions because, like, they've got, like, 200 champions and they're only, like, 17 weight classes. It's a bit ridiculous. Now, no disrespect towards him, but... I don't think that your Dennis Ugas brings the excitement that an undefeated fighter like Errol Spence did. But I've seen Ugas fight. I watched him win the welterweight title against uh, Abel Ramos last year, and I thought he won almost every round. He fought a very tactical fight, but I don't know if he has the speed or the power to really compete with Pacquiao. And as we saw in the Ramos fight towards the end, that Ugas can be caught, and you have to be very careful uh against a fighter like Pacquiao. You have to fight the perfect fight. Now, personally, I uh, I thought Pacquiao should have retired after the Thurman bout. I thought he probably should have retired earlier than that as well. Even though I had him winning, I thought it was a close bout for Pacquiao, and he took some very good shots in that fight. I don't want to see him getting older and older, still trying to chase a rematch with Floyd Mayweather that no one really wants to see happen. It was six years ago, and we've all moved on. Floyd's content to do exhibitions, beating up YouTube stars. I don't think he's going to come out of retirement. 
but that's just the way I see it. Now, as for Errol Spence, I mean, he was on the verge of, you know, the biggest fight of his career, and now there's all that money he would make with a Pacquiao fight. That's now gone, which takes a lot of the wind out of his sails. But guess what? You have other stars in the welterweight division. Why not a fight with Terrence Crawford? Something that feels like it's never going to happen at this point, in all honesty. Why not just say, hey, you know, let's do that when my eye is healed? Or Virgil Ortiz. I don't know. There's so many possibilities about what can happen within the next few months. There's talks at Showtime Sean Porter might be next for Crawford. So we'll just have to see where that goes. Now, last Saturday night, there was a PBC card on Fox that I uh, stumbled upon, but was generally happy to watch at first. I tuned in probably around round 8 of the 10-round Devin Alexander fight, where he was taking on Lucas Santamaria. So I can't give a proper account of the fight, but Alexander just wasn't doing enough. It was later revealed that he... uh, had torn his bicep early in the fight, and that affected his performance. But right now, I gotta lay down some hard facts. Devin Alexander is 34 years old. His record is 27 wins, 7 losses, 1 draw. The last time he won a fight was back in 2017. The last time he had won two fights back-to-back was back in 2013. He's a former two-time junior welterweight titleist, And now he's losing decisions to guys with less than 15 fights? In my opinion, my honest opinion, he should really consider retirement. Okay? Now, the next bout on this card was between Michael Fox and undefeated amateur sensation Gabriel Maestre. Or Maestre. You know what? I, I really don't care about this guy's name. Maestre. I'm not one for hyperbole, but sometimes... It does take a while for something to sink in with me. And while I was having some insightful disagreements and arguments on Twitter this past Saturday about what people were saying, if someone were to say to me that Maestre getting the decision over Fox was the worst robbery in boxing history, I don't think I would argue. I can't say I would 100% agree with the sentiment, but... I would say that there's certainly a compelling argument to be made there. After 12 rounds of action, we have a unanimous decision. Here are the score totals. Judge at ringside, David Singh, scores about 114 to 113. John Mariano scores at 115 to 112. And Gloria Martinez scores the action 117 to 110. All three in favor of the winner. He is now the interim WBA World Welterweight title holder and still undefeated Gabriel oh. El Capitan I mean, Maestre. How, how, how is that possible? Now I, I I don't I try not to get upset by these things, but how is that even? I, Joe Goose and I'm stunned it was 114-113, and I thought that has to be in favor of Fox. How could it even be that close? No way. I was watching the fight from first bell to last. Aside from the first round, from round two onward, when he scored the knockdown, that fight was all Michael Fox. Initially, I I thought he was maybe being a bit too arrogant, referring to himself as the professor, but the dude put on a literal masterclass. 
And you got to remember, he wasn't the scheduled opponent. He took this fight on short notice. He was more or less brought in to make Maestre look good. That's what I thought it was before the fight started when they were going over the records. Uh, Maestre was 3-0 with three KOs. He had been to the uh, Olympics twice and almost went to the Tokyo Games just a little while ago, but decided not to. But as the fight went on, this amateur standout was looking like an amateur. Fox put on this beautiful display of boxing, movement, landing punches, and he was taking uh, some good ones too, but he was getting uh, far better than he was taking. And also, I cannot believe a guy as tall as he was that he was ducking under a lot of these punches. I couldn't, like, how the hell is he doing that? But he, he was doing it wonderfully. Hell, go and watch the video of the decision being read. Fox looks confident that he's got this in the bag. And Maestre has this face, like he realizes there's quite a difference between being an amateur and being a pro, and he's got a lot to learn. Heck, when the scores were being read, I thought, okay, these first two are a bit closer, but they're obviously for Fox. No, not the case. Hell, my parents were also watching the fight. They were watching it in Ontario, and even they couldn't believe that Fox lost. My mom said, how did they give it to the other guy? And she's a lady who will admit she doesn't know a lot about boxing. And everyone in the armory in Minnesota knew that the decision was a load of crap. You can tell Brian Kenny, Joe Goosen, and Lennox Lewis were upset by that decision. And that wasn't even the real main event. There was still one more to go. Had that been me on the broadcast, I would have said, Well, you know, that's it for me this evening, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry, but I refuse to stick around for this. See you on the next broadcast. If they'll have me, decisions like this are what's damaging the sport. Good night. And I would have walked away. And I would have left, you know, whoever I'm doing the broadcast with to do it without me. And I told Michael Fox on Twitter that he should hold his head high because he had nothing to be ashamed of. It's the judges who should be hanging their heads in shame because that was a god-awful decision. That was the worst highway robbery I think I've ever seen. Now, the WBA, who sanctioned the bout for their meaningless interim title, has ordered a rematch. They also have suspended Judge uh, Gloria Martinez, who had the horrendous score of 117-110 for uh, Maestre. After it was discovered that she had a history of making racist tweets about black people on her now-deleted Twitter account. Now, the account may be gone, but the screenshots will last forever. I've seen them, and I'm kind of like, yeah, what the hell is she doing being a boxing judge? You know, th this is just absolutely disgusting. They've got less than 30 days to finalize a rematch, but personally, I don't think Fox needs it. I would personally, if I were him, I would move on. He put on a master class and showed that he was a master of class because he could have, when that decision was read, he could have sworn up and down. He could have been giving the middle fingers to all the judges, double to uh, Martinez. And I don't think anybody would have blamed him. Nobody would have faulted him. But, you know, he, like I said, he handled himself with class. And I, uh, I hope that every victory that he gets from here on in is, you know, you know, well-earned like the one against Fox, or sorry, against uh, Maestre should have been. But decisions like this, in my opinion, you know, they're even worse than the crap that Jake and Logan Paul are doing with the sport. You can understand why sometimes I don't have the energy to do this podcast. Finally, in the main event, Luis Colazzo in what was promised to be his final bout, win, lose, or draw, 
Well, he said it was going to be his final fight, win, lose, or draw, but he never said anything about if it was a no decision. Because after he, uh, he had a, less than four rounds with the undefeated Emmanuel Stanios, a clash, a clash of heads occurred, and uh, he indicated that he was unable to continue. But something interesting happened when they were discussing what to do. It was either the ring doctor or the commissioner who told Colazzo, who was taking a knee in the corner, if he can't stand up, I have to stop the fight. Colazzo said he couldn't get up, and immediately the fight was called off. A split second later, Colazzo stands up. It's an all right scrap, but obviously very anticlimactic and a bit frustrating when it's like, oh, I can't get up to fight. Fight's over. Oh, my legs, my Fuhrer, I can walk. You know, I, I think Colazzo should retire. The man is 40 years old, and sadly, his last two fights ended because of an accident, accidental class, clash of heads. Oh, God, am I having a stroke? I know fighters want to fight. They want to go out with a victory, but sometimes the writing is on the wall, and you've got to accept that you're not a young man anymore. You realize that you shouldn't be thinking about fighting, but maybe training someone for their fight. Lots of former fighters do it. Look at Roger Mayweather, Freddie Roach, Buddy McGirt. He could do it too if he really wanted to. And you know what? Say what you want about Luis Colazzo, but I will always respect him for knocking out Victor Ortiz in two rounds. And hey, speaking of Victor Ortiz, yes! Despite not having fought in three and a half years since his draw with Devin Alexander, Victor Ortiz is making a comeback against none other than Robert the Ghost Guerrero. Now, Guerrero uh, retired, I think, back in 2017 after a knockout loss to Omar Figueroa Jr. And that was, that was like a, a after, uh, I think that was his third loss in a row at that point. And I thought, okay, good. Guerrero should retire. I think he was doing commentary on some broadcasts at one point. But he's made a comeback. He's had three, uh, three fights. He's won them all. And now he's fighting Victor Ortiz. You know, this is great. It's going to be on the undercard of the Pacquiao-Ugas fight. Now, sadly, I won't be able to see that fight because I'll be working. But I'm going to do my hardest to make sure I have a follow-up podcast going over everything from the card, including the return of vicious Victor Ortiz. Hard to believe it's been 10 years since his fight of the year against Andre Berto, isn't it? Well... Victor, I'm glad you're still around. I'm still around, win, lose, or draw. I will happily report on any and all of your fights. See, stuff like the Fox decision makes me lose all my love for boxing. Victor Ortiz fighting again, I feel 10 years younger. Now, I will try to be back with another podcast this month going over the aftermath of Pacquiao Ugas and all the bouts on the undercard. That's all I have for you on this episode. We hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Boxing for Free podcast. You can find us online at twitter.com slash boxingforfree. Be like Arislandi Lara, Robert Guerrero, Berman Stavern, Millerad Zizek, Adonis Stevenson, Glenn Johnson. Wow, that's a lot of famous boxers and hundreds of others. And follow us on Twitter. Go to youtube.com slash boxingforfree and like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash boxingforfree page. You can subscribe on iTunes, Podbean, and several other podcast directories. If you use iTunes, give us a review and let everyone know that the Boxing for Free podcast is your source for boxing news and commentary. I'm Andrew Schweitzer. 
Thank you for listening, and we hope you tune in next time. He's been kidnapped by the internet pedophile.